Hello and welcome to the very first episode of my brand new podcast, The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited, original name. Uh, I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that I've worked in digital. So I really know how hard it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital and I'm hoping this podcast will be useful for you to give you a summary of the past week's news. In future episodes I'll also be speaking with special guests about broader topics in the industry and at the end of each show I'll have a little beginner's guide section for a different topic Uh, so hopefully it'll also serve as a good little education tool for you. But I really want this to be your podcast, so do tweet me at Kate Hamer Limited, or you can email kate at katehamer.com with any feedback, with any questions you want me to answer, any topics you'd like me to cover, and be really good to get um, some two-way engagement, that holy grail of digital communications, to find out uh, what you think of everything. So without further ado, let's get into the events of last week. My favourite kind of infographic was circulating on the internet last week and that is uh, what happens in a 2016 internet minute. So it basically lists out everything that happens in one minute online in 2016. I've tweeted the infographic from uh, at Kate Hamer Limited. I'll add it to my website um, katehamer.com as well. Uh, But some interesting stats in there. In an internet minute, 69,444 hours of Netflix are watched. Um, 20.8 million WhatsApp messages are sent. 347,222 new tweets are posted. Uh, 2.4 million Google searches are carried out. And one that was interesting for me is 150 million emails are sent. Um, Now, obviously... Email is still a main communication method in a lot of businesses and so there'll be a lot of emails from that perspective building into that 150 million but I definitely think there's still scope for emails as part of your marketing mix Uh, and it's something that you can start to look at a bit more in terms of how email can tie in with your social campaigns as well. I think CRM, Customer Relationship Management, is both social and email these days so there's still plenty of opportunity for that uh, medium of communication. If we go on to Facebook, a few bits of news about Facebook this week. So uh, you might have seen Facebook's safety check. It didn't uh, get the best of presses um, towards the back end of last year because it was being used, for example, during the terror attacks in Paris. Uh, It was an option for people to say, yes, I'm safe. But then when there were uh, Middle Eastern terror attacks and problems that wasn't always available and so Facebook were accused of being quite western biased in terms of the way that they were using this feature 
As a result, they have um, developed it so it can now be activated by the community rather than manually switched on by a Facebook employee. So it's going to be available in 80 different languages and it's going to be triggered based on local trends created by users. So as conversation happens more around a particular topic, it will trigger it. Um, they're also going to have an additional feature where it will suggest groups for those affected by whatever the problem is. So it might be how to find shelter or food depending on whatever the um, event is or disaster is that's happened so sounds to me like a good um, development it's going to be quite algorithm based and um, be interesting to see how that works but hopefully we won't have many disasters in the world for it to have to kick in but it is a good tool for people to be able to quickly let everyone know that they're safe uh, you also might have noticed this week on your own Facebook when you've been on there that there's been a message from Facebook encouraging people to register to vote for the EU referendum. So it's just a little post and it's got a link to either share it on your own page or a link to register to vote. Um, so again, I think Facebook is starting to get a bit more involved in terms of what's happening in the world and remind you. I think it can take it a bit far sometimes. It was my um, birthday recently and the ne the day after my birthday it was prompting me to thank people for their birthday wishes which felt a little bit like when you're a kid and your parents are telling you to write your thank you letters after your party and stuff so I think it can get a bit big big mother um, but again quite interesting the way it's starting to be used to uh, prompt people to do other actions and then finally on Facebook it's been testing a new font for status updates and it's really hard to well I certainly found it hard to tell the difference really it uses Helvetica currently and this is a new font called well it's not a new font it's a new font for Facebook called Geneva but it's been around um, I think since the 80s it's been used in Apple um, products in the office software and things like that you, you might have seen it um, you can barely spot the difference it's the lowercase a and the uppercase g that make it quite easy to spot but it seems that it's just a test that they're um, seeing if that perhaps has any impact in terms of the way Facebook um, works you might have seen as well that Google were recently testing black links rather than blue links so you know that is the beauty of digital that people are able to really test and learn and tweak and do little things all the time so I will keep a watching brief on whether the font will change not that I think that will necessarily change the world. Speaking of Google a couple of things to update on from them so one is that they have released a free version of their Google Data Studio. So the, the paid version is Google Data Studio 360, but there's a free version where you can create up to five multi-page reports. It's only in the US at the moment, but it's quite an interesting tool. It allows you to connect your data from um, AdWords, Analytics, YouTube, uh, big queries etc and then visualize that data so that you can gain insights and then share those reports so I think with the wealth of data that is coming out from all these different digital platforms that is always um, a requirement certainly with clients that I work with in terms of having a tool where you can easily create dashboards and reports that can be used right throughout your business so it'll be interesting to see how people start to use that suite 
Um, not in the UK at the moment, but again, I will update on this podcast when it is. Google also this week launched a tool uh, via their Think with Google website where you can evaluate your site on a scale of 1 to 100 in terms of its mobile design and loading speed. Um, Obviously, in the UK, searches on mobile now are greater than searches on desktop. So it's really important from a search perspective that your um, site is well optimized for mobile. Um, People check their phones more than 150 times a day in the UK. Uh, So you really wanna make sure that you're right for their phones. Um, And the stat that Google give is that an average user would leave a site if it doesn't load in three seconds on a mobile. So with this tool that they've launched, if you go to uh, Think with Google, you can put in the URL of your website and then it will score you and also give you um, advice on what you need to fix and how you can improve things. There was a bit of um, comedy around it in that the actual thing with Google site didn't perform that well when you put their URL into the evaluator, um, which is quite ironic, but I sort of understand that. I think everyone uh, struggles with their own sites when they're trying to do things for clients that's my excuse anyway when I haven't updated my blog recently and stuff Instagram uh, so they are testing new business profiles and analytics at the moment which I think are really going to be useful so they're going to be rolling out in the US Australia and New Zealand in the coming months and they'll be available in all regions globally by the end of the year Uh, so the key things that they're doing is from a, a business profile perspective you will be able to add a category to say what your business is, um, a linkable location tag so people can get directions on their phone, um, a contact button. You'll also have an opportunity to promote your best performing posts. So within the app, if something has performed particularly well that you've posted organically, you can then promote that post. So that would be a bit like the Facebook boost post option that you have on your Facebook pages. The other great thing is the analytics that are gonna be coming with this. So within a business profile, there'll be a little chart icon in the right-hand corner that you can click on, and that will take you to a whole host of analytics about who your followers are. Um, You'll be able to see their gender, their age, top locations, both country and city. Uh, You'll be able to see when they're online which I think would be really helpful for when you're scheduling content for Instagram. You'll also be able to see impressions so how um, many people it was um, shown to but also your reach in terms of the number of unique accounts who viewed it and you'll also be able to see people um, how many website clicks you've had on the link in your bio so start to get a lot more insight of what's happening within your account with a business profile. So fingers crossed that will come uh, soon to the UK after US, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, One other thing on Instagram, my favorite account of the week that I've discovered this week is at mom I'm fine and that's mom, M-O-M, the American version. So this is a guy who is traveling and basically post pictures of whatever he's doing, holding a sign saying, Mom, I'm fine. But it's, um, you know, him skydiving, for example, and he's written, Mom, I'm fine on his hands. Or he's uh, in a alligator enclosure and he's holding the sign, Mom, I'm fine. So uh, that I thought was quite a cool account. 
Um, so check that out. Snapchat, quite a lot of news on Snapchat this week. So they have now passed Twitter in terms of monthly usage. So Twitter has um, around 140 million users interacting daily with it and Snapchat now has 150 million users. Uh, in the UK, there's 10 million active daily users, so it's the second biggest market behind the US. Uh, and according to another piece of research, 40% of teens in the UK are on the platform. So, uh, again, quite an interesting one to start to look at from a brand perspective. They also this week signed a three-year deal to share live moments from Wimbledon. That will be including user footage from the men's and women's finals. And they're going to be selling ad spots to the sponsors of Wimbledon, such as Stella Artois and Hagendars. Um they have also leapfrogged Facebook in terms of their daily video views. So definitely a lot of content is being consumed on that platform. They've just raised $1.8 billion in the last round of funding. So it makes them an estimated value of about $20 billion. So definitely a platform that is here to stay. I still struggle a bit in terms of the amount of analytics and insight that you can get from it. You can obviously only really see views um of your content so it can be quite hard to measure some kind of roi from a brand perspective but i think because it is such an instant platform and it can be quite natural in terms of the type of content that you create then it is worth uh trying some different things out and seeing how it works for your brand this weekend in the US, uh, L'Oreal did their first filter to promote infallible Silky Seam eyeliner. Uh, so that was L'Oreal Paris and they designed it in-house, didn't use an agency. That's no real surprise. Obviously, L'Oreal Paris have the uh, Makeup Genius app, which has lots of this sort of technology within it in terms of putting makeup on your face. So absolutely makes sense. They work directly with Snapchat on it. Um, Looking at articles, there was an article in Adweek talking about it. Snapchat filters in terms of what it costs a brand. You're looking at between sort of $450,000 to $750,000. So it's a huge investment for a 24-hour piece of activity. Um, but there was a, an example of Taco Bell and their Cinco de Mayo campaign where it was seen 224 million times in 24 hours. Um, so you know, you're clearly getting a lot of views. I know Cadbury's have been doing some stuff recently, uh, testing, uh, trying out things with their crunchy filters. And again, it's a really good way to target this younger audience in a fun way and get your brand in front of them. On to Twitter. Uh, so the Champions League final was last weekend and 9 million tweets were posted around that. So again, although Twitter might not have the same volume of users as Snapchat, I think the interesting thing about the Twitter platform is that you can really start to target different audiences. The link with TV watching habits and the way that you can communicate with people on that level is really interesting, I think. Um, Ronaldo's penalty was the most tweeted moment and that peaked at 167,000 tweets per minute so a lot of content going out around that show show match you know what I mean um and then some other changes that are going to be rolling out on Twitter over the coming months which were actually talked about prior to last week but seeing as this is the first 
podcast. I thought I'd bring you up to speed on the latest developments. So a few different things. Uh, One is that media attachments are no longer going to count as part of your characters within your tweet. So obviously you've got 140 characters for your tweet and if you were adding an image um, in the past or uh, a poll or a gif or photo or whatever it might be or video that would take up some of your space but that isn't the case anymore so that will roll out gradually into um people's accounts but i think that's a really positive development i know there's been debates in the past where people have sort of worried about if the character limit were to be extended that would maybe make twitter not what twitter is and that it's all about the 140 characters but i think adding an image is fine um some people will obviously write essays as an image and attach that but at least it's not pushing everything down your feed and making your feed really long other changes are that you'll be able to retweet yourself or quote tweet yourself um which again would be useful especially if you have perhaps posted a link to a particularly uh, good piece of content on your website and you want to post it again you can um, kind of update your comment and say now see it uh, here or here is an additional thought that we've had on the topic or whatever it might be. Uh, In terms of when you reply to a tweet the at handles are no longer going to count to the character count either Um, so that will mean especially if you're talking to a whole group of people in a conversation, that's not going to eat into your character count. So again, that's really good. And then another change is at the moment, and I'm not sure that everybody necessarily realises that this is the case currently anyway, but if you were writing and wanting to use an at handle at the start of something, so if you wanted to say... um, at Victoria Beckham's new fashion collection looks amazing. If you started the tweet with at Victoria Beckham, only people who followed you and Victoria Beckham would see that tweet um, because it's to her. But what people used to do is put a full stop before that and then it would mean that all of your followers would see it. That um, is no longer going to be necessary because now new tweets that begin with a username will actually go to all of your followers. Now, once you start to reply to tweets, they won't be seen by all of your followers. So you don't need to worry that people are going to see your entire conversations. And if you didn't want people to see even the first conversation, you could obviously either reply to a previous um, tweet that they'd sent you in the past, or there's still direct message as well as an option. But it would mean that everyone will see um, posts when you first put the at in from a customer service perspective you don't need to worry about that because when you're replying to a customer that counts as a reply and so obviously it won't show to everyone so that's a roundup of the main platforms news for this week a few other bits of news that will be interesting for you hopefully emojis so 72 new emojis are going to be added to the unicode standard in june um it fascinates me how they must decide what 72 are needed. I remember a time when it used to be new words getting into the dictionary that we talked about, and now it's all about the emojis. But uh, there's a whole range that are coming out. There's one for um, ruffle, as in roll on the floor laughing. There's one for a shrug. 
Um, I mean, that doesn't, to me, sound like much of a conversation if people are wanting a shrug to be able to say back to people, but there we go. Pinocchio lying face, that could be quite interesting. Um, as a Sheffield Wednesday fan, I'm quite glad that there will be an owl. Um, there's going to be a face with a cowboy hat. Uh, one that I am actually quite excited about is a fingers crossed emoji because I do always find it a bit tricky when someone's telling me they've got a job interview or whatever and you sort of have to send a thumbs up or a shamrock or a four leaf clover or whatever. Um, what else is there going to be? A selfie emoji where there's a raised arm with a phone in its hand. Um, there's more foods coming. There's a croissant, there's a baguette, there's an egg. Um, some more animals, there's a whiskey glass for when the beer and the uh, Cosmopolitan and the bottle of champagne aren't enough. Some more sports coming in, obviously I think they'll be thinking about the Olympics there. There's a water polo one, uh, gold, silver and bronze medals. Um, so a whole range coming, 72, which will be new in your emoji keyboard soon. Um, and there's that's also raised a bit of a conversation around the diversity of emojis. So Facebook, looking at their own ones on their platform, have tried to better reflect skin tones. They've added some more women in particular, job roles. Google are also um, trying to highlight more diversity of women's careers. Uh, so there's a real focus around that as well. I think the big thing for me that I would like someone to develop is a search function because going back to the start of the show, we were talking about what happens in an internet minute. I would love to know how many searches in an internet minute happen where people are trying to find an emoji. Um, I'm sure there used to be a search functionality on clip art. I think they should get a similar thing for emojis as well. A few other things from the digital industry. So Salesforce are going to be buying demandware for 2.8 billion dollars it's expected to complete by the end of july um so salesforce is obviously a cloud-based software where you can manage your sales leads but by buying demandware which is um a, a commerce platform then it means that they'll really be able to offer that whole kind of sales solution so their ceo mark benioff said that with demandware salesforce will be well positioned to deliver the future of commerce as part of our customer success platform and create yet another billion dollar cloud in terms of different brands and how they're using digital at the moment a few interesting stories in the news this week uh, Perno Ricard has launched its first brand-led e-commerce venture with the Malibu Rum Shop. Uh, and there they're selling Malibu branded products like barbecue buckets, glasses, t-shirts, picnic sets. And they've actually launched this in response to requests from customers on social media for branded merchandise. Uh, so again, you know, they'll rely a lot for their e-commerce sales on the e-commerce retailers like the the grocers amazon etc but it'll be interesting for them to start to own that relationship with the customer in this context and get start to get a bit more of an understanding of what people are looking for McVitie's uh, did a really good campaign for National Biscuit Day. So they created the Great British Dunk Off, or GBDO was the hashtag. Um, and they created a visual showing how many times each of their biscuits can be dunked. Uh, apparently a dunk is four seconds. Uh, I think I probably don't dunk for the um, standard dunking time. But I was quite surprised that... 
they reckon a ginger nut can only be dunked twice. Um, and I tweeted that out from my business account and they did reply saying, why don't you have a go and see what you can do, which is great customer engagement. I'm trying to resist buying the packet of ginger nuts, but now that I've talked about it again, I might have to. And I apologize to anyone who's listening to this who is now also going to want a ginger nut. Uber are going to be running their first above the line campaign in the UK. And I think that's interesting. You know, it's not all about digital, even for a digital brand that is completely app based you do need a whole channel mix of communication. I mean, they talk about it as a necessary evil, which I think is a bit of an odd quote, Um, but they're going to be having out-of-home adverts around the UK, focusing on stories behind the drivers and riders. Um, They're also going to have some radio ads and a selfie campaign on social media where they're going to encourage people to share their own stories. So, It will be, especially from the drivers, about why the drivers work for Uber, what they want to do in their lives, that kind of thing, which obviously to an extent they'll be uh, trying to improve any bad brand perception that has been about in the past uh, few months with some of the stories that have gone around about Uber. One stat that was quite interesting on that is apparently in London alone, 30,000 people download Uber and order a car for the first time every week. So it is a rapidly growing app. Baileys are going to be launching the first ever soap opera to play out on Instagram's new video carousel. Um, And it's around when coffee met Baileys. So uh, they're really focusing on wanting to build that combination between coffee and Bailey's so it's an eight-part comedic series mother of the agency that have worked on it and it's going to play out over two weeks on the at Bailey's official Instagram the first episode will be released on Tuesday the 7th of June and it focuses on coffee pot as he strays from lifelong partner Milk and gets involved with Bailey's. And apparently there is also a menage a trois with Swiss muesli. Uh, I don't know if it's a good idea to have Bailey's on your muesli. Probably not for breakfast anyway. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that performs. They'll be, it'll obviously be going out to the followers of their account, but they'll also be putting some paid media behind it on the um, video carousel. So If I uh, get any results of that, I'll put them in next week's show. Um, And this one I really like. Uh, So Cornetto are creating these commitment rings. So it's based on an insight from a survey that TiVo does once a year, which shows that 62% of people watch a shared show without their significant other. So, you know, you're watching Game of Thrones or house of cards or whatever and you promise each other that you're not going to watch an episode until you can both watch it together but 62 percent of people are actually cheating on their other half and watching the show so these commitment rings that cornetto have created use nfc technology and connect to video streaming services and it means that you can only watch an agreed upon show when the two rings are near each other Uh, So it's not out yet, but there's a website called seriescommitment.com and you can go there and register your email address to be notified when they are available. So that is this week's roundup or download of digital news. Uh, As I said at the start of the show, each week I'm going to end with a short beginner's guide to a different topic. Uh, This week, following the fact that I ran a Guardian Masterclass yesterday on search, I thought I'd give you my golden rules for search. So if you're already a digital expert and you just wanted the news download, you can stop listening now. 
bye thanks for tuning in don't forget to let me know what you thought of the show and for the rest of you still listening if in fact anybody is listening um, as a data and analytics geek i am quite looking forward to starting to see uh, some stats once this is released uh, we can crack on so search i absolutely love search one of them that sounds so sad doesn't it but hey it's a digital podcast so I've, i have to embrace the geekiness but uh, one of the main reasons that i really like search is because it's actually responding to a customer need so rather than kind of putting something in front of a consumer even though it may be relevant when they're not necessarily looking for it at that moment this is really responding to something that they have asked for so you're meeting them halfway it's a brilliant opportunity for conversion as long as you're serving them a relevant answer to their search. So relevance and context are absolutely key for search. Um, in both paid search, so where you're setting a maximum amount that you're prepared to pay for each click on one of your adverts, and organic search where you are improving your performance through search engine optimization of your website, Google wants to make sure that it's serving the best possible answers to its users and that's why it isn't just about how much you're prepared to spend in paid search. Google gives you what's called a quality score and that is based on what you've written in your ad copy, how many people click the ad, whether they stay on your site when they get there or bounce straight out and it multiplies this quality score by the bid that you're prepared to pay and then it gives you an ad rank. So that means that someone with a lower bid but a higher quality score than you could see their advert higher than yours. So to really make sure that you get the best possible performance in search, these are my five golden rules. So the first one is to think like your consumer. So you need to be thinking, what are they looking for? How would they search for it? And how can you answer that? It's quite often easy when you're part of a big business and working internally to get very focused on the way that you speak internally and forget about how a consumer speaks. So I've had instances, for example, when I worked at Disney, where I think we were calling Baby gro baby Grows um, body suits because it was the American name and it's obviously an American company and it came over, but actually nobody searches that in terms of a UK parent, they'd search for a baby grow. So you need to be making sure that you're using the language of your consumer. Same um, in beauty brands, internally in those brands, you might call it cosmetics, but actually consumers call it makeup. So then the next thing is that you need to have a mobile mindset. So as I said earlier, today's show, um, searches are higher on mobile than they are on desktop. So you want to make sure that your website is optimized. You want to make their life as easy as possible. So if you can use ways um, that people can just click and call you, for example, or click and get directions to your local premises, that all makes sense. And context is really important as well. Someone searching the same query on mobile versus desktop might have a very different need in terms of the response that they're looking for. Trying to understand context and making sure that you give a relevant response is really key. Be single-minded is my third golden rule. So make sure that you are really clear on the purpose of each page of your website. Um, if you could, if you could look at three different pages on your site and think, well, all of those I could describe in the same way, then you probably don't need those three pages. 
you want to make sure that there is a real purpose and that someone landing on that page is going to get a particular experience. The fourth rule is to maximise either your meta description or your ad copy. So these are the bits that show as the little paragraph of copy that is what makes people decide whether they want to click through uh, to your site or not. I like to think of them like the back of a book. When you're looking in a bookshop and you're trying to decide whether you want to read a particular book, you read the back and see if it appeals. That's what people are going to be doing when they're looking either at your ad copy in a paid search ad or at the snippet of description of your site in an organic result. So really invest some time in writing those and make sure that they appeal as much as possible. And the fifth rule is to hang out with the right crowd. So your reputation with Google is also going to be based on who you hang around with. So you want to make sure that any links coming into your site are natural and make sense. And they're coming there from reputable sites. If ever you look at the links coming into your site and there are links that you don't want to be associated with, then you can go into Webmaster Tools and um, select an option to disavow the links and tell Google they're nothing to do with you and you don't want to be associated but in terms of link building work that you do you want to really make sure that it's relevant sites that um, have got a good reputation themselves so that is a whistle stop five golden rules for search um, thank you very much for listening to the digital download i really hope that you have found it useful do let me know, tweet me at Kate Hamer Limited or email kate at katehamer.com and I will be back with more news from the digital industry next week. Thanks, bye.